hear the word of the Lord. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak, eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear, noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel, feet, but do not walk, and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all, or so do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we just ended our series in the Holy Spirit um, last week, and uh, next week we'll be starting a new series on the book of Luke. Um, and today we take a pit stop in, uh, in Psalm 115. So I pray you'll be blessed. Uh, you can join me in prayer right now. God, you are so, so, so good. God, I pray that you would just be glorified, that you would... Um, just build a fountain of praise in our hearts today. Speak clearly to your people. We need you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Grief, pain, and sorrow do an incredible job of limiting our capacity for joy, celebration, and praise. I experienced this too. In fact, there was a time recently where I wasn't doing too well and I went to go see a professional about my well-being. And in this meeting, she was digging through all the things that I had been neglecting in my past. She was drilling down on some, some key issues in some particularly painful, painful places. And even though I expressed my discomfort, um, she continued to pull and tug. And after this dentist appointment, <laughs> I went home. And, and my wife, she, she, she saw me and she just knew something wasn't right about me. And so I don't know if I look sad or just the Novocaine hadn't worn off yet, um, but, but I couldn't even enjoy the Lord's gift to me that day, which was uh, Chick-fil-A chicken tenders with uh, sweet and spicy sriracha. 
but because of that grief, pain, and sorrow, I was unable to have joy, praise, celebrate. And that's just not a, not a part of my experience or the human experience. It's a part of the Christian experience. And the question is, when we face grief, pain, and sorrow, how are we supposed to respond to God? How are we supposed to interact with God? Is anyone here suffering this morning? Does it seem like the evidence of God's love and favor is not present in your life? Does it seem like God is absent in your struggle? Or you have longing and longing and it doesn't seem like the Lord cares to satisfy you? When grief, pain, and sorrow are limiting our capacity for joy, celebration, and praise, I think God is calling us to hallelujah in hard times. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord in hard times. Hear me here. I'm not talking about happiness. Right? A lot of times grief, pain, and sorrow are godly responses. But amidst that, I think God is calling us to hallelujah in hard times. And this is what Psalm 115 is about. Psalms 113 to, to 118 are the Hallel some Psalms, and they, they all point us uh, uh, to different reasons and in different situations to, to praise God. And this specific one is talking about praising God even in our lament. But how? Here are four shifts towards hallelujah and hard times. Number one, shift your perspective. Two, shift your trust. Three, shift your expectations. And then we land the plane and shift four, shift to gratitude. Number one, shift your perspective. I'm going to start here in verse two. Why should the nations say, where is your God? The nation of Israel were mocked by other nations because they, they were the only uh, nation in the area that did not have some physical representation of a God. And you remember that from the, the Ten Commandments where God says, don't make any image of me. And so the other people were mocking them and they say, yeah, your God is invisible, all right. So invisible that we don't even see his impact in the world. Where is your God to protect you? Who's going to stop us from plundering you and killing your sons and daughters? Why should the nations say, you get that, that attitude that, the writer, he, he, is, he is questioning, why, why should this be a thing? God, you are over everything. Why should the nations be able to mock us like this? And I think that we can identify with that. God, how come I'm not feeling the, the, the presence of your promises? You promised me family. How come I'm, I'm not experiencing family right now? And the family I do have is broken. Why are things like this? But he doesn't stay 
in this question stage. He shifts to what he knows to be true about God. Why should the nation say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. He knows that God is both able and active. He's he's in the heavens. He's sitting on the highest throne. He is sovereign. There is nothing that happens without his approval. He is working. He is moving. Our God is in the heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Everything he does and does not do is what he wants to do. God does what he wants to do. And if you think about this God who we want to give glory because of his love and faithfulness, then we can know that when he seems absent, it is a demonstration of his love somehow. We have to remember what we know about God to be true is that he is faithful, he is loving, he is worthy of glory. And even though we may not be able to understand it or put all the pieces together, what we know is this, in your grief, pain, and sorrow, God is orchestrating and intending, meaning he has purpose In your grief, pain, and sorrow, God is orchestrating and intending out of his abundant love and faithfulness. We may not be able to reason that from our circumstances, but we can reason our circumstances by the word of God. It's just true. The writer also shifts his perspective from from himself to looking up. Notice the prayer right? The people of Israel are, are uh, presumably struggling right now. The nations are mocking them. He doesn't say, hey, do this in the name of Israel. He says, this isn't about Israel per se. This is about you. Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. Sometimes when we're struggling, we can get a little caught up in our personal name. But in this case, from the outside looking in, the people don't see evidence of God's love and faithfulness. It, it seems like it's, it's not true. And the writer is concerned with, with God's name being hallowed, right? Hallowed be thy name. Your, your, your will be done. Bring glory to your name. I can't stand for my God not being glorified. And he is able to put his own desires aside because when you understand God's love and faithfulness, you know that he's going to take care of you. And that frees you up to desire God to be glorified. And so he can say, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. And his desires reflect his love for God. And sometimes when we're in pain and grief and sorrow, our our selfish desires are are exposed. And, And we are tempted with contingent faithfulness where we demand from God. 
And sometimes it's subtle. I can't believe you didn't give me that blank, that job, that child, that husband, that wife, that you didn't fix this. But our faithfulness is not to be contingent upon what God does. But we can trust that he does love and care for us. And so we can live for his glory. We can desire his glory. We can seek his glory. We can shift our perspective to one that recognizes God's love and power. And the writer calls the congregation to shift their trust. Shift their trust. Oh, people of Israel, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Oh, house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. All those who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is your help and your shield. God had a particular relationship with Israel that wasn't um, uncommon in the ancient Near East. And so um, they, they had a covenant, which was a, a, a suzerain vassal treaty. And so the suzerain is the big, powerful king who has all the things, all the power. And the vassal is this little tiny kingdom. And so they would be in a relationship where if the vassal does everything that the suzerain says to do, they give them obedience and loyalty, then the suzerain would give them protection provision. In the case of Israel, God promises them blessing. That is life, he says in Deuteronomy 30. But if they disobey, they break that covenant. And there's also some implications. And God says, if you disobey, you will receive cursing and death. And so when he says, hey, Lord, be our help and our shield, they're asking God to act in accordance with his covenant. God, give us the provision and protection that you promised us. Come to our defense. The problem is, is that that covenant requires obedience. And we should feel a little weird. We're on, we're on, we're on weird ground to say, God, help me. You are my help and my shield when we have not given him perfect obedience. But God is gracious. And so he sends a representative to live in perfect obedience on your behalf. So there is never a moment where we are not on the grounds to say, God is my help and my shield. It's personal. He's my God. Every person, almost every person, maybe, maybe there's some Jewish folks in here. We have no business calling God our God. And yet he loved us. And we can hop in on the promises of this psalm and say, oh yes, help me. You are my protector. And I trust in you, Lord. I trust in you, the person. I also trust in your promises. And anything else we turn to for help 
Anything else we turn to for deliverance or relief? Um, Anything we run to for rescue is an idol. We are tempted to trust idols to rescue us from whatever situation we're in. Maybe we turn to people or, or plans or, or resources. God, if I just had this thing, I would be okay. And it's like, well, who are you trusting in, God or the thing that you're asking him for? And these idols that we turn to, they do us no good. In Psalm 16, it says, um, those who run after another God, their sorrows will multiply. The things we turn to for relief actually multiply our sorrows and our grief. And so if the option is, hey, I'm going to struggle with God or turn to something else and multiply my sorrows, I think that there is a, a very good option and a one not so good option. The idols are nothing. Their idols are silver and gold, work made with human hands. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They don't make any promises to you. They don't counsel you. They have eyes, but they they do not see. They They don't know if you obey them or not. They don't see you in your struggles. They have ears, but they they do not hear. They don't hear your cries of pain and grief and suffering. They can't hear your prayers. They have noses, but they do not smell. There is no pleasing aroma of worship. Whatever you do for the idol is just, you're just moving in futility. It can't be pleased with you. They have hands, but they do not feel. Feet, but they do not walk. They can't actually do anything. And those who who make them, they become just like them. That is useless and lifeless. And so do all who put their trust in them. It's so tempting. And it's not that God doesn't use people and resources and plans, but we have to make sure that we trust the giver, the user of those things, and not just those things themselves. Because when we misorder that, we move into a place of death without life, like those idols. But trust in the Lord, you people who fear the Lord. He is your help and your shield. Trust him, trust him to do what exactly? How is he planning to make our situation any better? So this next shift towards hallelujah in, in hard times is a shift of our, our expectations. The Lord has remembered us and he will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless all those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. I want to point out two things about expectations. One is um, 
when will he bless? There's a time aspect. And the other is, what's the content of this blessing? And this is important because expectations, they, they shape our waiting. We can wait nine months for a baby. And as a matter of fact, if that baby starts to come any sooner than that, we start to get concerned. A baby in a womb, that, that's a good thing. Our expectation is nine months. But let our Amazon pack package arrive on day three, <laughs> and we have a problem. And some of, some of us with too much time on our hands, we actually pick up the phone and call, and we want a $10 credit or something. Our expectations shape our waiting. If I had known that that dentist appointment would have been that excruciating, I would have started flossing 25 years ago. <laughs> but I didn't know, and it caught me off guard. Sometimes we are grieved because our expectations aren't being met. But perhaps we should conform our expectations to the promises of God. We can only expect what he has promised to do. And so he says, he has remembered us and he will bless us. But, but when though? And this might not be such good news, but um, a thousand years is like a day to God. And then the Psalm 90, it goes a bit further because a day has 24 hours. And then it says, or, or just a few hours in the night. And I'm like, man. A thousand years. That means that God's timing is different than us. We have no clue what patience is if a thousand years is like a day to God. So as we expect God to move, we should understand that in the Old Testament, even in the, just the Psalms, there, a lot of times the writers are like, how long, O Lord? How long? And that's a long time. So we are in this position of waiting on God. But the Bible shifts how we think about timing. See, God isn't slow. He's patient. He's deliberate. He's ordered. He's meticulous, measured. He's working, just not at your speed. But his timing is purposeful. And the good news is that suffering doesn't last forever, just as long as it's necessary. Suffering only lasts as long as it is necessary. Suffering is necessary. In Romans chapter 8, it says, we are heirs of God, but also heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. Glorified with him. We don't know when, but he will bless. Now, what's the content of this blessing? 
Verse 14, may the Lord give you increase, both you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. I think that this blessing that they're asking for is referring back to the promise of Abraham and um, God's covenant. And, And the blessing in God's covenant is equivalent to life. Specifically, life unto the age. And we know as we get to the New Testament that this life that everybody's going crazy about is eternal life. That is in Christ. The same eternal life that Jesus, when he steps on his scene, he's like, actually, that starts right now. And so as believers, we know that God has already given us this blessing and a small portion that we're longing for. But the rest of it is fulfilled when Christ returns. Part of that blessing is a blessing that you will get at the end of the age. Part of that blessing is a blessing that you get at the end of time. But right here in the passage, it also says, May the Lord give you increase. And I think what he's asking for here is uh, is literal fertility. Because Abraham is supposed to be a a father of of too many kids to count. Abraham is supposed to be Nick Cannon, right? (laughs) And evidently, they don't see enough enough of the people there to make sure that God is coming through on that promise. And so they're asking God to increase their number right now. They're asking God for a right now blessing as they are are being plundered and killed by the nations around them. They're saying, God, would you increase our number right now? Part of this blessing that they're expecting is a right now blessing that is consistent with God's promises. So what can we expect in our circumstances? Expect God to bless you right now according to his promises. And expect that blessing right now to come up short of heaven. Man, when we spend eternity with Jesus, it would be so, so, so good. But we don't get that same goodness in its fullness right now. There will always be a gap between what we experience right now, the partial blessing God has given, and what will be fully realized later. And within that gap is grief and pain and sorrow. And God uses that to cultivate a heart that longs for eternity with God. He uses that to shape, refine our faith so that when that day comes, we can express a joy that is unexpressible. Shifting your perspective 
that God loves me, so my circumstances must work out for my good in some way. Shifting your trust and saying, I don't know how he's going to do it, but I trust God that he sees me. Shifting our expectations. He may not give me exactly what he wants, but he surely will give me what he has promised. If the Lord promised me joy, that joy, me asking for that joy is never going to leave my prayer life. I'm expecting God to give me that right now. God promised me family. I don't know how he's going to come through on it. But in some fashion or form, God is going to answer that prayer. What God has promised in his word, that's what we can expect. And then we make that last shift. Shift to gratitude. And this is a super important shift. This is where we move towards the hallelujah in hard times. Something happens when you shift to gratitude. God gives us gratefulness as grace. He gives us gratefulness as grace. I'm going to give you an example, and um, just know that what I'm about to say is not political at all, okay? All right, some of y'all are sufficiently nervous. Cool. Um, Man, I was surely looking forward to student debt forgiveness. (laughs) Hey, I'm not saying it was a good policy or a bad policy. I don't really care. I was surely looking forward. (laughs) My goodness. And I think about what exactly are you looking forward to, Jason? Are you looking forward to a number, you know, disappearing on a website somewhere and partially? But also, I was thinking of what it would feel like when I'm not in debt. You mean, there's an emotional component. What it would feel like. And you think about that. What would it, what would it feel like if all your debt was just removed? Right? There's a, there's a sense of anticipation, and then you feel joy creep up over your spine, right? And I think that's what gratitude is like. And regardless of what you think about the current president, if he had removed my debt, I would have been a fan. <laughs> right? And think about it. It's just, it's just that, that, that gratefulness It's a sense, a little flavor of joy. And God gives us that to cut through the grief and pain and sorrow. And man, it may not overwhelm it to the point where it disappears, but it it will just give you a, a, a sigh of relief for a second. You ever get a good breath in? Like you... Sometimes anxiety chokes you up where you're getting like 65% oxygen all the time. And then at some point you get a good breath in, right? That's what, that's what gratitude is like. You, you can actually have, get a peak of joy for a moment. It's like a good breath. <sighs> I felt good. 
But we don't just have gratitude for what God will do, right? But think about all the things that he has done. And so I'm going to walk through these next few verses, and I'm going to walk through these, and I'm going to be done. But as I do it, I'm just going to look forward to what has God done so that he is worthy of praise. And he starts with, the heavens are the Lord's heavens. He owns everything. He owns every single thing. And that means if he's sovereign, then that everything you have was given to you by God. Does he know your name? Well, then it was personal. I guess he also knows your style, right? The clothes on your back, he's given it to you. Man, he's given us gravity. You know how hard it would be to live life floating around everywhere? (laughs) The heavens are the Lord's heavens, and he gives you what you need. Every Chick-fil-A chicken tender. And as a life hack, you you put a little bit of ranch in with the sweet and spicy sriracha. You'll thank me later. (laughs) The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. This brings us back to Genesis 1 where he creates man and woman in his temple garden. And he says, hey, you made in my image. I want you to multiply around the whole earth. So little images of me will be everywhere. So when you look, all you see is my glory expanded to the whole world. I want you to cultivate this garden so that my presence can be everywhere. Everywhere is a temple. And you know what they're doing in that temple? They're giving praises to me. I created you to praise me. He creates us to praise him, but then we mess that up. And we choose, chose to live according to what we thought was good and evil. And then everybody in this room continues that path. And he promised that if you sin, you will be separated from me. In other words, you will die you will die and you cannot fulfill your purpose because the dead don't praise God. The dead don't praise God. So how is it that I'm supposed to praise the one if I can't make myself alive? And in steps Jesus, who says, yes, you are dead, but I'll take that death from you. I'll take that. And on a cross, I will experience grief like you've never experienced before. I will experience pain that you can't imagine. I will experience sorrow that you've never even heard about. I'll take that from you. And then three days later, he rises 
from the grave. Because death can't keep God dead. God makes death dead. And he has all power in one hand and eternal life in the other. And he says, now you will live and you will live and you will live and you will live. And he, he brings forth from your heart faith in him. And he says, you're alive. And we're like, are you sure? He's like, let me test it out. Praise me. Because the dead don't praise God. If you can say hallelujah, if you can praise the Trinitarian God in spirit and in truth, God has done something in your heart. The dead don't praise God. Praising God itself is a reason to be grateful. It means you're alive. God has given you life. And so, we will praise God from this day forward to forevermore. Think about that. We're not the people who go down in the silence. We, we, we praise God from this day forward and forevermore, that life is eternal. There's a reason to praise the Lord. Even in hard times. Because even though, man, life is hard, those promises don't, don't disappear. God loves you and he cares for you. And one way he gives you relief is inviting you to practice that life by giving him a hallelujah in hard times. Let's pray. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Soldier in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. For more sermons, info about our church, visit SojournChurch.com slash Midtown.